Father, we have sung amazing truths about you and about your son Jesus. And we are thankful that it is Jesus that makes it true about us that you are all to us. That it's his work that makes it real even if we don't feel it. God, we are thankful. We are humbled. That we can sing these truths, these truths with sinful lips. Sinful lips made righteous by the blood of your cross. And so, Father, help us to not just sing and not just say, but to believe what you say is true about us. That we wouldn't believe what our hearts are, say are true about us, that we're great or we're worthless or we're dirty or guilty. We wouldn't believe what others say about us. But God, we would deeply, deeply believe what you say about us and be changed because of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we went to a conference in Atlanta a couple of months back, and there's this mythical creature that lives in Atlanta called the hipster. And we got to meet some. I got to see them face-to-face in the flesh. And they're great. I don't mean this critically. But you could tell who they were because they dressed a certain way. They had the uh, modern lumberjack look. You know, you got a plaid shirt, but not too plaid. And, you know, good and burly, but not too burly. Got to wear some blue jeans. Not skinny, but tight. And then at the bottom, you got to roll up the cuff. Um, it's helpful if you can grow a good beard. But you got to make sure that beard's good and sculpted. And then they've got some nice glasses, cool cool glasses, and then there's a hairdo that they all had, and it was, you know, kind of shaved on the side and long on the top. You could tell them by the clothes they wore. Well, I say that on purpose, and it's not to have fun with our great brothers who, are, who dress that way, but I say that because Christians are supposed to be known by the way they dress. And I don't mean by the way they dress. I mean by the qualities of the spirit that are part of their lives. We're to be known by the clothing of kindness. We are to be known by the clothing of compassion. We're to be known by the clothing of patience and long-suffering. We're to be known by the clothing of humility. We're to be known by the clothing of forgiveness. We're to be known by the clothing of bearing with each other and loving each other and at peace with each other. We can tell who people are by the clothes that they wear. And so there's a fresh challenge because we have a new identity in Christ to put on the clothes that Christians are supposed to wear. And so as we move into our text in Colossians chapter 3, we've already seen kind of the big theology. Christ is supreme over everything. And we've seen how false teachers want to offer something, but it's empty and it's powerless and it can't make us different and it can't conquer our sinful flesh and it can't set us free. And so in chapter 3, we began to turn... To this new identity. You are a new identity in Christ. Alive with him. You are a new identity in Christ. Dead with him. And since that's true. It calls for this new mindset. This new life orientation. That is focused on the things above. Where the rule of Christ is. And not the things that are below. And in the last section. Verses 5 through 11 of chapter 3. We talked about the clothes that belong with the old man. And since the old man is gone. 
the clothes that the old man wears need to be thrown out with him. The clothes of lust and the clothes of racism and the clothes of, um, of anger and malice and bitterness and seething and all that stuff. Those need to be thrown away because it's not who we are anymore. And in this section is the positive commands to put on. And so clothe yourselves with a different set of virtues, with a different set of characteristics. And so wear the clothes that match with your new identity in Christ. And what we're going to see about these clothes is they are highly, deeply relational clothes. They are the kind of clothes that force us into deep community with other people called the body of Christ, called the church. They're the kind of clothes that cause us to deep unity and peace with the people, with our spouse and with our homes and with our kids and, and with the church. They're the kind of clothes that make relationships possible, but not just possible. They're the kind of clothes that make relationships flourish. And so just as the, the put-off sins destroyed community because they were about selfish lusts and anger and separation and, and breaking each other up by group, so the things we put on are qualities that foster deep relationships and they foster deep unity and they foster this thing called family because we are family. And so let's look at the text as we have this new identity. This new identity drives a new way of living. We are, so we do. So listen to that as we, as we pick up in verse 12. Put on then, clothe yourselves then, that's a command, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And so as we look at that, the main point here, let your new identity empower new ways of living in the new community of faith. Let your new identity in Christ empower a new way of living in a new community of faith. And so the Christian faith is a deeply relational faith. It's a deeply community-driven faith. We are driven into a new family that is more than our old family. We are driven to a new blood that unites us that is more powerful, even though we don't believe it, than the blood that we are born with that courses through our veins and our parents' veins and our kids' veins and our aunts' and uncles' veins. There is a blood that's more powerfully uniting than that. And in biblical language, is more important than that. And so we're driven into community. We're driven into relationships. And I want you to notice as, you go th- as we go through these qualities, they are social in nature. They're relational in nature. But I also want you to notice this because it's so important. It's where all of our temptation lies. The remedy for relational tension, the remedy for struggles starts here. Because your temptation and my temptation is all my problems are the person that I'm married to. And if they would just be blank or do blank, everything would be better. And if you church folks would just see things the way I see them and see, sing the songs I want to sing and decorate the way I want to decorate, the world will be a perfect place. What's the problem? But if you notice the, the text, 
It says, don't look out there first. I mean, there's times we have to deal with problems in other people in relationships. But the starting point of all healing in relationships is right here in our own hearts. You see, it tells us to be patient. That is, suffering long in the face of hardship. And so I'm called to be patient even when someone around me is being difficult. I'm called to endure and suffer long with them. That's speaking to the one that's offended, not to the offender first. I'm called to be humble. I'm called to be kind in the face of adversity. And so let the text speak to you and me. Don't let the text speak to the person next to you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And if we all live this way, then guess what? Relationships can flourish. And if we don't, they can't. So let's look at it as we go to the first step. Put on personal qualities that are essential for thriving relationships. Put on personal qualities that are essential for thriving relationships. If you've been around people much, you know that some people are they're, they're prone to complain a little bit more than the rest of us. And they're prone to be a little more negative and a little more critical and a little bit nothing's right and fault find and pick on things. And then you also sometimes you'll be around couples and it's the same way. They've got this deformed pattern of relationship and they bicker and they complain and they negative and they tear each other down. And we've almost gotten to the place where church splits are so common. Let's just expect it. Let's just, let's just set our watches and wait for the next split to happen at Fletcher. Let's just wait for the next split to happen at a church in town. But that's not the way it has to be. We are not inevitably going to break apart in relationship. We're not inevitably going to break apart in our marriages. That's not true. God calls us back and he says, if your marriage is bickering and struggles, if your church is struggling and tense, if your marriages are struggling and tense, if your friendships are struggling and tense, if you're critical, if you're a complainer, if you're all this, it may have been how you always have been, but you don't have to be anymore. You see, there is a Holy Spirit, God himself, living inside of you to make you what this text says you are. You have supernatural God power inside of you to be different than you are today. And so the work, the, the grace that is applied is the grace that says our relationship can be different and better than it's ever been before. Our church's unity can be different and deeper and better than it's ever been before. And the churches of Statesboro's relationships can be deeper and better than they've ever been before. And the relationship with strained parents and friends can be deeper and better than they've ever been before. That's what the text calls us to, is these qualities. And so... He starts out with put on and he's resetting and reminding us of some foundational identity stuff. He's been doing it the whole book, but he does it again here because he wants to make sure we don't get this out of order. He wants to make sure we don't get sucked into, okay, let's just do better. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to make myself be kind. I'm going to be nice. No, he roots us back into our identity. He calls us back into who we are and out of who we are and who God is for us calls us to a different way of living. And so I want you to see that in the first part of the text. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's your identity. That's who you are. And so I want you to clothe yourselves then, referencing back to Christ is all in all, then referencing back to you have put off the old man and you have put on the new man. It's already true. It's already real. So since that's true, put this on. Clothe yourselves this way. And I want you to look, and I want you to actually not just look, I want you to think. 
And I want you to feel deeply what he says is true about you. Because what matters, what is real, is not what you say about you or what I say about you. What matters and what is real is what God says about you. And so I want you to meditate. I just want you to let these words hit you. This is what God in heaven, the sovereign of the universe, says is true of you in Christ. So here we go. God's chosen one. Holy. Beloved. Now, I know it's easy to get in debates with chosen and start worrying about that, but I don't want to. I don't want you to go there because then you're going to miss the beauty of what he's saying. You are the one that God has chosen and called to himself, and he has made you holy. You're holy. You're righteous. You're pure. You're 100% totally set apart to him, and that's true. And it's true regardless of what anyone else says about you. It's true regardless of what you have been doing for the past week. It's true regardless of the fight you had with your spouse on the way here this morning. You are holy. And so when your heart says guilty, condemned, you need brothers and sisters and you need the word to remind you, no, not guilty. You need brothers and sisters to remind you, you are holy. You need brothers and sisters to remind you you are so perfectly accepted in Jesus and it will never change. We need people to help our eyes gaze upward to what is true and what God says. Because if we know it's true and we believe it's true, it will change how we live. You will live differently if you really believe God says you're holy. But you're not just holy, you're beloved. You are one that has been loved. And that is in what's called the perfect tense in the Greek, meaning it is a past action that is complete and full and total. You were loved perfectly. And it continues on into the present. You are loved perfectly. And so think about how it sets you free if you're 100% accepted eternally by the only one that matters. Think if you really, 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 truly, deeply believe that the one who created you and made you and has set eternity apart for you to live in with him, if he says, I'm accepted, I'm loved, think of how that sets you free from having to pursue acceptance with your life and having to pursue acceptance with the people around you and having to pursue acceptance from a boyfriend or a girlfriend, to have to pursue acceptance from the person you're married to. Think how it sets you free. If you really believe, I am accepted by the only one that matters. And I'm not just accepted, I am so perfectly loved by the only one that matters. And it's always been true since he saved me and it will always be true for eternity. Think of how that sets you free. And that's what's true. Because that's what God says is true. And it has nothing to do with how you feel about it. And it has nothing to do with the self-condemnation or the self-righteousness that you want to put in place of it. It's true in Jesus. And if you'll experience it, it will change you. And then we move on to the the qualities. And he he lists five qualities that we're to clothe ourselves with. There were five five, um, sinful qualities in the last section for each of the sets. And now there's five positive qualities in, in this set. Five characteristics that are part of the clothing of the new man. 
And so let's look at them. Compassion. And what I want you to do as we look at these, I want you to think about how each one of them directly connects to one of God's qualities in his relationship to us. And so when it says put on compassionate hearts, I want you to remember, I am a beloved one. I am loved perfectly by Christ, and I was loved in a way that showed compassion, meaning he came and met the need I had. And so I was loved with compassion that acted by God. And since that's true, I'm called to be compassionate. And so when it says hearts of compassion, it literally is the bowels of mercy. And in ancient thought, the bowels were the place of the deep emotions. The bowels is where um, all the deep affections would come from. And in Hebrew thought, the bowels were where the tenderest emotions like love resided. And so put on the bowels, put on the deep places of tender affections for each other. And the word for compassion or mercy is the word for love that acts. So compassion is when you put love into action. And so put on the active loving of other people. Put on kindness. Do you know it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance? Do you know that his loving kindness is better than life? And so since we've been loved with the loving kindness of our God, we're free to do active good to the people around us, even if they're not good back. You see, it's not, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. It's God has infinitely scratched mine, and I'm going to infinitely pour it back out into the world in kindness. And so compassionate hearts and kindness and humility. Think about this. The one who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant who humbled himself to the point of death, even the death on the cross, that one who humbled himself to adopt you, now calls you to be humble. He had nothing to be humble about. We have plenty to be humble about. And so clothe yourself with the humility of Christ and then live. And humility is like this. It's, it's an accurate view of myself. But even more than that, it's not even thinking about myself that much. It's when I think of other people more than I think of myself. It's when I'm more interested in the interests of others than I'm interested in getting my own interests. I can't say that again, so don't ask. And so it's about thinking of others more than we think of ourselves. And it's about thinking of others' interests and putting others' interests ahead of my own. And so be humble. And then it uses the word meek. The word for meek can be gentle. Or it can also be how do I face circumstances beyond my control? What do I do in the face of life that I can't control? What do I do in face of events and circumstances and diagnoses that I cannot control? Do I run in fear? Do I despair? Do I give up? Do I get angry? No, I am meek. I joyfully receive as part of God's good plan for my eternity and my life whatever comes. And so I actively embrace and I actively live out and I act faithfully in the midst of circumstances beyond my control. I don't despair. I don't lose hope. I don't get angry. I walk faithfully. That's meekness. And then the last one. Endurance or patience or long-suffering. And I think this one leads into the qualities that are coming next, the the actions that are coming next, excuse me. But the word for patience is the word for long-suffering. It means in the middle of hard circumstances and and hard people and difficulty that I bear up faithfully in the middle of those. 
I endure, I, I, I'm patient, I walk it out, I, I walk beside difficult people and I walk through difficult circumstances and I suffer long. And so do you see what I mean? Like, this is calling me to be different, not let's make everybody around me different so life is better. This is calling me to look at those who are unkind and show kindness because of God's kindness to me. It's causing me to say, let's work with compassion on those who have nothing to give me back in return because I have a God who's compassionate to me and I could give him nothing back in return. It's telling me to bear up under hardship, modeling a Jesus that bore up under hardship and endured patiently, long-suffered. And so it's a call for you to start with you. And for me to start with me, am I displaying kindness regardless of what uh, my spouse or the people around me in church are doing? Am I walking in humility? Chris walking in humility, but they're not being humble. Is Chris walking in humility? Are you walking in humility? Are you bearing up under circumstances that just aren't yours and they aren't under your control? Are you walking faithfully in the middle of those? Because that's what the Holy Spirit empowers you to do. That's what when God says you're loved and you're holy and and you're mine and you're accepted, he puts his Holy Spirit in you to empower you to live this kind of life. And now he's just calling you to start living the way you are. You're a new man. Now wear the clothes that look and fit with the new man. The second thing we see, put on reconciling actions that build harmony in your relationships. Put on reconciling actions that build harmony in all your relationships. All right, I'm going I'm to give you this great insight. So you ready for it? People are weird, Right? And y'all are nodding your heads and pointing, right? We are. Okay. People are just weird, right? And we're filled with weaknesses and we're filled with sins. And they're not the same thing, right? I can make a mistake and it's not sin. It's a mistake. I I can fail at something and it's not sin. It's failure. I can be physically weak and tired and it's not sin. It's frailty of being a human being. I can have quirks to my personality and I do. And it's not sin, it's weakness, it's frailty, it's, it's, human, it's humanity, it's humanness. And then not only are we weird and weak, we're also, we're sinners. All of us. You are, I am, no way around it. And so we don't just mess up and let people down and disappoint people because of our weakness. We also actually offend them by our sin. How in the world are we ever supposed to have relationships if that's true? How in the world are you possibly supposed to stay married to somebody if that's true? We must have this reconciling power inside of us that God gives to us. How in the world do we ever get a group of 200 people on a Sunday to love each other and get along and stay in relationship and not run off when we get hurt? We've got to have something given from outside of us that pushes us to reconciliation. And that's what we have. You see, the only options when you are offended or you don't like somebody is to pull back and run away, to leave hold bitterness or to forgive and to bear with the frailty of each other. One will create relationships that thrive and show the world a Jesus that's better than what they have and one will just reinforce what they've always known. There ain't anything that special about Jesus. There ain't anything that special about church. They're always fighting anyways. And so the call is in a world of weakness and sin, reconcile. 
Look at these two actions, and then they, it kind of culminates with this final pinnacle virtue. And so he says, um, after he says endurance, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against each other, forgiving one another. So bearing with one another, that is not sin, that's weakness. And so when you're faced with the quirks of people around you, or the weaknesses of people around you, or you're disappointed by the people around you, or they don't do what you think they might should have done, and it's not sin, but they just are, they're just people, bear with them. You can either press in in that moment to love with God's kind of love, because we're weird and he's not, or we can pull back in that moment. And the Bible says, bear with them. Push back into them. Don't run away from them in their weakness. And then forgiving one another as the Lord forgave you. People will sin against you and they will offend you and sometimes they'll do it on purpose. They'll have their own agenda. They'll speak rudely about you. They'll gossip. They'll be harsh. They'll Whatever the thing is, we sin in our relationships. Somebody's going to come home this week and start lashing out at their wife or complaining and nagging their husband. It's going to happen this week. It's going to happen here. Forgiving when we're offended. We apologize when we're weak, and we confess and seek forgiveness and give forgiveness when we're not or when it's sin. And so forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, this is where it gets really exciting. How has the Lord forgiven you? Because that's the standard. How has the Lord forgiven you? We've been reading Ephesians as a church, and you're probably three to four times in, right? Yes. Don't lie in church. Or anywhere, because it's bad. You've read Ephesians three or four times so far. And it says, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Because of the grace of these, or because of the riches of His grace that He lavished on us in Christ Jesus, that sounds pretty great, doesn't it? We have, by the blood of the cross, been redeemed, had our sins forgiven, richly by His grace, extravagantly by His grace. And that grace He lavished on us in Christ Jesus. I have been lavishly forgiven. I have been richly applied grace to my life. And that's the way, since I have that, that I forgive other people. Do I forgive other people lavishly? Do I forgive my family richly? Do I forgive the people around me in church lavishly? See, one of the things that I think is true is that we are often not forgiving or not some of these qualities in the areas where we've not received the experience of God's grace in our own lives. And so, yes, I was saved and maybe I drifted. Yes, I was saved and maybe I was taught legalism. Yes, I was saved and maybe I veered off course a little bit. And I'm not living in active, lavish grace as part of my experience with God. I'm living in law. I'm living in, I feel like I'm disappointing him a lot. I'm living in, I'm not working hard enough or, or whatever, and so since I'm not experiencing a lavish grace like Ephesians says, it's very hard for me to lavishly give grace to other people. And so I want to encourage you, if that's a struggle in your heart, that you go back to who you are in Christ. You're holy. 
But you go back to who you are in Christ. You are loved and it has zero to do with what you do. And it has zero to do with how good you are. And if you believe that's true and you receive and experience the lavishness of grace, forgiveness will flow out of your life lavishly. And that's what the text is calling us to. Forgive each other. How should we forgive each other? Oh, the way Jesus forgave us. And we put Jesus on display when we forgive each other this way. We shout to the world there's a real Jesus who really applies grace to whatever your sins are when we forgive each other this way. And then we say something else about God's grace when we don't. As Jesus forgave you, forgive. And then he says, and above all that, put on love. Okay, so you've got all these qualities you've put together. You've clothed yourself a certain kind of way. Now make the finishing layer love. For me, the finishing layer is a belt. I feel extremely awkward in the world when I do not have a belt on. That may be you guys. I'm sure ladies, it is something else, and I don't know what it is. But for me, if I'm walking around without a belt, it feels weird. Put on as that finishing layer, the thing that brings everything together in your outfit and in your clothing, everything together in your spiritual life, put on love. Love is the umbrella. Love is that quality you put over everything else. So because I love, I'm compassionate. Because I love, I'm kind. Because I love, I'm humble. Because I love and have been loved. Because that's true, I'm meek and I'm patient and I forgive. And so since I know absolutely nothing about music, what, what do you think I'm going to tell you right now? Something about music. All right, so let's, let's say there's 150 or so people right here. And let's say you begin to be kind and compassionate in these qualities. You are playing the right note, but you're not all playing the same song. So love is the sheet music that puts all of our right notes together into this beautiful song of God that shouts of his fame and shouts of his grace in a way that is undeniable because all of us are living in kindness and all of us are living in humility and all of us above everything else have been tied together into the same song by love. And it's part of our relationships and it's part of our marriage and it's part of our parenting and it's part of our relationships with each other. And we're not just talking about love as I kind of like you people, okay? We're talking about family kind of love. I love you people. We are in relationship with each other. We know each other. We see each other's frailty. You've got to get close to people and you'll feel their sin at some point. And I've got to forgive because I've gotten close enough to be sinned against. And to really bear with somebody, you've got to be close to somebody so that their weakness and quirks actually start to hit your heart. And then love is required. And then this beautiful thing that comes over all of that stuff that makes it work shouts to the world, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another like this. And you will shout the gospel with your life in relationships if you do it. And then there's one more step. Put on reconciling actions. Bear with each other, quirks and all. Forgive each other. And then put on peace as the decisive factor in your relational interactions. Put on peace as a decisive factor in your relational interactions. And so here's, I want to give you a very simple, something that can help you in your relationships. And something that can help you in your relationships with each other. And it's going to help you very practically if you use it today. Because you'll probably need it. I want you to, in the middle of the moment, when you're tempted to respond the way you've always responded, in the middle of the moment, 
where things start heating up, I want you to ask one simple question. Will this create peace? Will what I'm about to say create peace in my marriage? Will what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do create peace in my home? Is what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do going to create peace in the church? If you will ask that question, nine times out of ten, it will be extremely helpful to the flourishing of your relationship. Now, peace is not the only qualifier. I understand that, right? The wisdom from above is first pure, and then it is peaceable. And so, yes, I understand there are other questions to ask, but most of the time, the problems in your relationships are not, I'm going to say this and disrupt everything because I want things to get better. They're usually, I'm going to give back what I just got. Will this create peace? Will this make peace deeper and more meaningful in our circles of relationship? And if you can answer that comfortably in the Spirit, then go ahead and have the conversation or the action. But it's probably going to say, no, don't. Let's back away from that one a little bit. That's exactly what this last verse says. It's a very simple uh, verse. Let the peace of Christ, and here's what I would say, the peace of Christ in this case is not objective peace with God where I am saved. And this is not the inner sense of tranquility either. What he is saying here is let the relational peace, that's what he's dealt with this whole passage, let the relational peace of Christ inside the body of Christ, let, let relational peace rule. And the word for rule is the word to be an umpire. And so this is the guy that decisively gets to call the shots and decisively make all the decisions about what is happening and what is fair and what is foul. This is the guy when he says it's a strike, it's a strike. This is the guy when he says it's a ball, it's a ball. When he says it's an out, it's an out. It's the deciding factor. And so let peace be the umpire among you. That's the, simple, that's the simplicity of the text. Let peace be the one that calls the shots. Let peace be the, the deciding principle in your hearts, in your group, from the inside out as part of being here and part of being in your family and in your marriages. Let peace be the deciding factor on what you say and what you don't say. And yes, don't hear me wrong. Yes, there are times when you have to address issues that cause temporary no peace to get real peace at the end of it. That's true. But in general, in general, let peace be the umpire in what you're about to say or not say or do and not do. In general, let peace be the deciding factor. A couple of practical things as we close. Believe you are what God says. Believe you are what God says. I'm not saying no is a fact. I'm saying believe deeply in your heart. You are holy. Period. And if you really believe that, and you really receive the love of God that makes that true, you're going to live holier. Believe you're accepted. Believe you're accepted even if you've been rejected your whole life. Believe you're accepted even if your dad was never proud of you. Believe you have been accepted regardless of how many times you weren't picked. Believe you're accepted even if someone left you and divorced you. Believe you're accepted forever, finally, totally, perfectly in Jesus, accepted. Believe you're loved. Believe you're righteous. Believe you're adopted. 
Believe that you have every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and you lack nothing. Believe it because it's true. And if you believe that it's true, guess what will happen? It will become increasingly true in your life. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his new identity that calls a new way of living. And that new way of living drives us to people and not away from people. Second, reconcile with the people around you. You have a God who has reconciled you in the cross of Christ who calls you to go reconcile. You have a God who's forgiven you by the blood of his son. Go forgive. If it's mom, if it's dad, if it's brother, if it's sister, if it's family, if it's church, if it's a past church, reconcile. Because you have been lavishly, eternally reconciled in Jesus to God the Father. And the last one, do a love test on your life. You sacrifice yourself to actively care for people around you. Are you in relationships with other people in the church? And I'm talking about real relationships that are transparent and real relationships that are authentic and real relationships that are genuine and the mask increasingly comes off. It doesn't come off perfect all at once, but are you in that kind of relationship with people? I would challenge you to be because that's what love looks like. Love isn't me sitting behind a safe wall walking around the same space as other people. Love is when walls start to come down and lives start to mingle. And then I get to actually practice love and put on work gloves called love. So do a love test on your life. Are you kind? Are you patient? Do you speak truth when it's needed? Do you receive truth when it's needed? Do a love test. We are new people. It's true. Now let's put on the clothes that go with that new person. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we're new regardless. Thank you because of Jesus we're accepted, not because of what we've been doing or how well we've been doing it. Thank you that I'm accepted. If I never am able to serve another moment of my life, I'm accepted perfectly. And I'll be accepted just the same. And thank you that that sets me free to serve and us free to serve. So God, we're asking that you work among us, creating this beautiful picture of reconciliation. We're asking you to work among us to create this beautiful picture of forgiving, lavishly loving relationships with other people. Start with our homes, God. Start with our relationships. Move through your church so that Jesus is shown as great and merciful and gracious. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.